We know now that in the early years of the 20th century, this world was being watched closely by intelligences greater than man's. Men from Moto. Digital strategies with Travis Sowers and David Seville. Intellect, vast, cool, and unsympathetic. Broadcast to the world with the uncanny help of Mana Deprived and FaceToFaceGames.com. Greetings, people of Earth. We are the Men from Moto, and you're listening to episode 64. Spoiler alert. My name is David Seville, and I have Travis Sowers on the line with me this week. How are you, sir? I'm pretty daggone excited, man. Yeah, this is uh, kind of a milestone for us, isn't it? It's kind of a big deal. Yeah, we've been kind of spoiling it, previewing it all week, and actually the week before that too, but we are pleased to say that we have not one, not two, not three, but four spoiler cards for your consumption today. I can only assume uh, that Wizards offered us this in honor of our 64th episode. Uh, I can imagine that they have no idea. Yeah, that... you're probably right. They would have given us 64 preview cards, obviously. Obviously, but also they might have known if they were paying attention that it's not actually our 64th. Oh, crap. What what number are we on? I don't know, like 52? Really? Something like that. You're crazy. I know. It's insane. Either way, it does not matter. It just matter. feels like we've been doing this a lot longer, I guess. <laughs> Every podcast feels like it's forever <laughs> with you. Yeah, yeah. You can tell from our jovial nature here that we're very excited to have these cards. So we're going to jump into them right away here. It's going to be all Dominaria all the time for the next 50 minutes and change. But first, I want to mention the Patreon. Uh, if uh, this is something that you're interested in supporting, if you're interested in supporting us financially... Uh, check us out at patreon.com slash men from moto. Uh, you can check us out there. We've got a few patrons already and we're doing monthly rewards. Uh, depending on the tier that you get into, you can get access to the mic check, which is our 10 minute ish warm up show that we do for patrons. And, uh, we, uh, we offer things like draft alongs, um, draft video reviews. You can ask a question on the podcast, all sorts of things. So if that's something that interests you, be sure to check us out there. Now, that being said, should we just dive right into it? You're a cheeky bugger. It is episode 64. That's what I said. Not our episode 64. It's yes, episode number yeah. 64. Yeah, I see. I see. I see what you did there. Yeah, let's talk about some cards. All right. I like that you had to go and fact check me, though. <laughs> I had to go look it up. <laughs> okay. So, Mr. Sowers, why don't you do us the honor, since you've been on this podcast longer than I have, of reading our very first spoiler card. This is a really cool card. Orcish Vandal. One in red for an uncommon orc warrior. It's a 1-1. One, one. Tap. Sacrifice an artifact. Orcish Vandal deals 2 damage to any target. Every ancient relic is a weapon if you throw it hard enough. <laughs> I love it. The art is fantastic. The uh, the flavor's fantastic. I love that they have orcs that are kind of like goblin-themed. Not really goblin-themed, but like it, they, it feels like they're causing mischief and mayhem. They're just bigger and stronger when they do it. It's kind of yeah, sweet. Yeah, they, they look like the orcs from old art, just kind of in a more modern style. So like we've seen orcs in Dominaria before, and it's it's nice to kind of 
get to see those old tribes get a little bit more love. I had Orcish Librarian in the deck many, many moons ago. So it's cool to see orcs again. Mm-hmm. This also hints that we may have some Artifacts Matters things going around, yeah? I mean, it would. You would hope that in a set that has a card like this, that you would have Artifacts to throw at people. Um, otherwise, it's kind of not really useful. So if, if you draft a card like this, and if it turns out to be playable, a good in a format, in a draft format, uh, what kind of Artifacts are you looking to throw? What kind of Artifacts are you hoping we will see in Dominary to make this card useful? So best thing ever would be something that makes a lot of terrible artifact tokens. So if there's a card that makes four zero ones, all of a sudden I'm interested. If there's a five, like way back in my day, we had five mana artifacts that you could tap and spend five mana to make a one, one flyer. That wasn't necessarily good back then. The hive, I think it was called, but something like that, that can just repeatedly spit out artifacts would be fantastic for this. Short of that, any card that's going to make multiple tokens would be good. And short of that, any sort of cheap artifact with an enter the the battlefield ability or leave the battlefield ability. So like Terrarian from days gone by where you draw a card when it went to the battlefield and you could sack it to fix your mana. Like that's something that I wouldn't be unhappy to throw at things. And this is any target, by the by. It's not just your opponent. You can hit their creatures with this. Yeah, turning a bunch of cheap artifacts or uh, useless artifacts that have maybe already served their purpose... Uh, into shocks i think is is kind of sweet um obviously being repeatable also helps i'm looking forward to uh blocking with artifact creatures and then sacrificing them to take something else out um or potentially taking out something bigger i guess it doesn't really work that way you'd have to deal the damage with damage on the stack and we're not going that far back in time (laughs) no um but there's a few things you can do especially with the artifact uh creatures we haven't seen a lot of artifacts being spoiled yet uh, in the official spoiler list from uh, the Wizards website. So haven't seen anything that really makes tokens. Um, haven't seen much for, for cheap artifacts outside of the legendary mocks, which I don't know if you're actually going to be throwing at people. Although, zero mana shock. I mean, I'd play that. That's probably legacy playable, right? Every ancient relic is a weapon if you throw it hard enough. <laughs> exactly. Um, interestingly enough, though, there was a blue card. I'm going to find the name of it here that is very similar to this, except drawing a card instead of dealing two damage. So it's Sage of Latinam, one in a blue for a uh, one, two human artificer with the ability to tap, sacrifice an artifact, draw a card. So I think that's interesting. We've seen now two of these, this style of card. I'm wondering if it's limited to these colors. So if we're only going to see them in blue and red, or if this is part of a larger cycle in which we will see things such as, you know, tap, sacrifice an artifact. Um, I don't know. What would you do? Gain in white? five gain life. Li- gain five life. Or um, I don't know. Maybe green would be a put a plus one, plus one counter on, on something. I, I doubt it because this feels like a very, very much of red and blue um, slice of the color pie here. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And I, don't, and I don't just mean that because red obviously deals damage and blue obviously draws cards. It's just generally speaking, what we've seen in the past, thinking back to Kaladesh most recently, is that the things that cared about artifacts like that, um, Improvise, for example, was very much a red and blue theme and not necessarily other colors as heavily. So I'm wondering if this these will be the only two style of cards that we see here or if we're going to see more. And I, I think I, I think you're onto something there. And, and I had a similar thought when you told me about the blue one earlier. Was that like 
this is probably a red-blue thing. I also think it's an interesting design choice. Like, this card clearly wouldn't be broken if it was a 2-1, right? No, I think it would be very... I think it would be much better as a 2-1 because you could be attacking with it instead of throwing your artifacts. Yeah, so I I think, like, this card as a 2-1 would kind of be a no-brainer, and we'd be like, yeah, this card's probably okay. Whereas putting it at a 1-1 makes sure that it's going to get to the people who actually value this effect. So if there is some way to abuse a card like this, you know, and, and you're the one taking those cheap artifacts, planning on seeing it, or you pick it first and then, you know, try to get those cheap artifacts, you can probably string that together. Whereas if it was a 2-1 or a 3-1 or a 1-3, like other people might be interested in the card for other purposes. So I, I think it's actually kind of a neat design choice to make it a creature where like, if I'm just doing, I don't know, red-green aggressive things, I'm not particularly interested in this. But if, if there is a blue-red artifacts deck and I'm in it, then all of a sudden this guy starts to look pretty attractive. Mm-hmm. And then maybe that means that kind of the uh, cheap artifacts that don't necessarily do enough will also spin around to you, uh, you know, in the in the common slot, for example. Yeah, you know, maybe, for sure. Maybe there's a card that makes a couple of zero one artifact servo tokens that are useless in most decks except this one. Um, that's interesting. That's an interesting way to look at it. So actually, I'm I put my money on this being a mini cycle and and more of an archetype and less of a like a cycle of cards. Yeah, I, I think it's trying to guide us to what Blue Red wants to do in this format, and that's what I'm excited about. I enjoyed Blue Red improvised decks in Kaladesh, and, and wouldn't mind doing something like that again. Mm-hmm. I look forward to seeing what other Artifacts Matters cards there are, aside from the ones that care about Historic uh, cards. So you'll remember that Historic means uh, anything that's an Artifact, Legendary, or Saga, is that right? Counts as a Historic card, and we have seen a few cards spoiled, which we will talk about uh, shortly here that have effects when you play a historic card so there's a a creature i think that draws you a card whenever you play a his, a, a his, an historic uh spell um i think that's a mythic but still very very good so you know seeing that artifacts are supported in other colors means that there might be some fighting over those things but there's going to be i hope like i said these useless quote-unquote useless artifacts that don't fit in any other archetype except for this one so you should hopefully be able to get your fill of things that fill out this archetype if you want to go in early. The fact that these are uncommon is probably also good for that because there probably won't be a huge fight over these. Like one person get, can get in on it and nobody else really can. So that kind of looks forward to maybe, uh, looks positive towards supporting that archetype. Yeah, I'm excited to see what else is, is going on here. And I'm going to be digging through the blue and red cards looking for more stuff that that cares about that. Mm-hmm. So next, so we said we had four. On to number two in the history of Men for Moto. We have an artifact we can throw. Go figure. Navigator's Compass is a one-mana artifact. When Navigator's Compass enters the battlefield, you gain three life. Strictly better than Healing Solve? Well, you could prevent damage with Healing Solve to one of your creatures. Right, I guess this is sorcery speed and instant speed. All right, all right, all right. Has the ability tap... Until end of turn, target land you control becomes the basic land type of your choice in addition to its other types. And this is a common. So it's uh, it's a bit of a fixer that comes with life gain attached to it, which is, is pretty hard to convince me that I want to put one of these in my deck. Right? Like just on the surface, you're not playing this in your green-white deck. You're not playing this in your any other deck. However, if you have the ability to throw this at people... 
or if you have the ability to potentially draw cards with this, and maybe the fixing is kind of useful, I could see all of those things kind of coming together in some sort of magical Christmas land in which maybe this makes a, uh, takes a spot in your deck as your 40th card or something like that. What if I were to add in that it's also a historic card? Now you're kind of speaking my language. So this is the type of card that nobody will take until pick 12, pick 13. So if you care about those, and if you can somehow draw cards off of this because you have, uh, who was it, Jorah that we were looking at? The the legendary multicolor weather. Yeah, she captain. draws cards when you, when you play historic cards. Right. Now all of a sudden this becomes a cantrip that gains you life and fixes you, potentially. Um, there are other cards that we have seen, a couple that care about historic cards. So I think it, it really depends. Now, is this good enough fixing for you to splash or, or to use to count as your splash? Like we've played Prophetic Prism. Now this is no Prophetic Prism by Correct. far. However, it kind of fills that same role, except that it just doesn't cantrip you. Well, people argued in the past with me that Terrarian was fixing, and I don't think Terrarian was ever fixing. Um, I, I should mention what that card does, because this strikes me as closer to that, and it's certainly worse than that. Terrarian was one mana. Here, let me actually look up the card and, and take a second to make sure I know what I'm talking about, because I, I sure. want to read this properly. Okay. Um, like, if I, I could see this being useful in a deck that cares heavily and you're looking for a critical mass of artifacts to throw to draw cards to get things back from the graveyard with historic purposes i i think that's about the extent of it there's probably like a deck out there out of a hundred that wants this um but because of that that deck should be able to pick up any number of these that you want and we've seen some amount of fixing so far we haven't seen all of the lands or all of the fixing so it's tough to know if if this will be a three color format or not and if this will be useful in those three or four color decks. Yeah, like a format depends on Evolving Wilds. Something at common to, to be able to do that, uh, to do multicolors. And like Traveler's Amulet would make sense here too. But let, let, let me make this comparison to Terrarian. So it was one mana for an artifact, enters the battlefield tapped, two in sack it, add two mana in any combination of colors to your mana pool. So it just filtered two mana. When it's put in the graveyard from the battlefield, draw a card. So Terrarian could fix you, and it could enable Delirium, which in the format that it, it was in were actually two things that mattered. So adding those together meant that this was sometimes a playable card in Eldritch Moon, but I saw people playing it in decks that didn't care about Delirium, and I'm like, you're not really taking advantage of this. You're kind of just making an awkward way to cycle through your deck, and like you, you can do better than that. So for me, I'm not going to play the Navigator's Compass just to fix, Right. Like, you could just play a basic land of the alternate type. Like, say we're splashing black in our red-white deck. Just put a swamp in instead of this. Like, it, it is literally that 18th land, right? Except you, you, can't even, yeah, you can't even tap it for mana. So, like, I need it to do all of those things. I want it to fix a splash. I want to have something to sacrifice it to. I want to have a card that cares about how many historic permanents I have in play. Like, adding all of these things together will make this a card for me. But any one of them individually, I'm imagining we can get somewhere else. Mm -hmm. I think where it might be most useful is if you're splashing for a card that cares about historic things. <laughs> That's actually neat, yeah. Right? No, because like you're going to play a basic. So let's let's say you're playing uh, Jorah, right? So she's two red-blue, is that right? Yeah. Yeah, so she's two red-blue. So And let's say you're playing white-blue. 
and you're like and you open this in pack three and there's a couple of white cards that care about historic cards as well and you're like oh man like you know i could splash this off a navigator's compass or two and those those compasses aren't dead if she's in play they become cantrips or if i have one of my other historic matters cards so there's a white one here that i'm going to scroll up and read here let's see if i can find it real quick uh do you remember what it was called uh, Tashar, Ancestor's Apostle. Three and a white for a 2-2 flying uh, legendary bird creature, bird cleric, at rare. Whenever you cast a historic spell, return target creature card with converted mana cost three or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. So if you're building your deck around this card and you open Jora in pack three and you're like, oh man, you know, I could splash for her. I already have a Navigator's Compass because I picked it up 14th. I wasn't going to play it, but now I am. And if you happen to have double white, double blue casting cost cards, all of a sudden that red splash is less of a cost at the cost of playing a Navigator's Compass, which could enable your Historic later on. I know it's Magical Christmas Land, but, you know, if you're going to splash for a card, you know, being able to do that and get the benefit of the Historic off of it might just be something that happens. Yeah, and like there's there's also a common creature that we've seen in white so far, the Sarah Disciple. One and a white for one, one flying first strike. Whenever you cast a historic spell, it gets plus one, plus one until end of turn. So if we're seeing this historic matters at common in some colors, like, again, it needs a perfect storm for me to want the compass, but I could see it having a place in some decks. Mm -hmm. I think there will be a lot of people that play it incorrectly. And I think that is you're comparing it to Terraria in that way is very much a good comparison. So it will be okay in the right deck and it'll be just awful why are you playing it in most other decks there you go there you go and you can also shock people with it for two right because you will always have your orcish dude in play i'm just assuming that we will that's why we got the spoiler right do we have to first pick these now that they've been our official spoiler cards i feel like you have to first pick them at least once so we open an orcish vandal we're just doing it yeah, I think that's the one you have. I don't think you have to first pick a Navigator's Compass. Okay. 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 How about our next one, though? We talk about more artifacts that you can throw at people. Yeah, next up is Blood Tallow Candle. This is one colorless for an artifact at common. Six tap sack. Target creature gets minus five, minus five until end of turn. Okay, so it's cheap and then expensive. We had a yes. card very very close to this in uh, Kaladesh block. I can't remember if it was Kaladesh or Aether Revolt. Um, Universal Solvent, if you remember that one. It was yeah. one one mana for an artifact with... I don't even know if you had to tap it. Yeah, you must have. Seven tap, let's say. Uh, destroy target permanent? I think it was Exile. Exile target permanent. Either way, it killed whatever you needed to be, to, to be dead. The downside of it was it was eight mana to, to use it. Seven, if you had already invested one at some point earlier in the game. Very rarely did we see this. We didn't even really play it in the improvised style decks, if I remember correctly. I played it a little bit. I, I looked it up. It was one for an artifact, seven tap sack, destroy target permanent. Like, I didn't play it a lot, but if I was playing an improvised deck, I played it in that. And sometimes you just needed unconditional removal, and you didn't have it. And sometimes you just needed to bring this in out of the board to kill some big dumb thing that you didn't have removal for. Yeah, that card really wasn't that. Like, if, if you were bringing in a Universal Solvent, something went 
awful with your draft or your sealed pool was just garbage. It was one of those things where it's like, I need cheap artifacts to improvise off of. And after I've done that, this still has some use later. So that, I, I think it's a very apt comparison. It's just, what are, what are we doing with these artifacts? Right, we don't have improvise. Yeah. And it's not unconditional removal. Yeah. So this is one of your enablers at common, or not enablers, your late pickups that you would put in a Historic Matters deck, in a deck where you want to be throwing these things at creatures or drawing cards off of them or whatever. It's just another one of those. It's it's a very similar in uh, role to the Navigator's Compass, even though they do two completely different things. Yeah. It's, I don't think you're going to be playing this for the removal side of it. And I don't think anybody that's playing a normal draft deck, normal being not the blue-red artifact deck, you know, you're going to have removal and, and creatures that you can play instead. Nobody's going to want this except somebody that is trying to abuse it. Yeah, and, and it could be like historic triggers, right? Mm -hmm. Historic triggers, throwing artifacts at people. And I guess it does have the upside of being able to minus five, minus five something, which could make combat difficult for your opponent if they have something large on the other side of the table which would you rather take between this and the navigator's compass probably this if i'm mm -hmm. looking at the cards just on their own because i feel like that's going to be more useful but i i really feel like wizards was generous enough to give us hey here's a clue to an archetype that is going to exist here mm -hmm. exactly and i think both of those cards do go in that archetype and because mm -hmm. they're common and not going to be picked up very often i think you should be able to get any number of these that you want yeah so. i don't think you need to go nuts first picking these but it like it, it gets me excited that there's an a blue red artifact stack and we've seen that before right like i i don't remember the one that the giant scissors were in but like we've seen blue red uh be an artifact pair in many sets it's just been a while since we've seen one mm -hmm. in soul artifact yeah that's the one i was thinking of was that origins i think that was origins it might have been. Or and one like of the there were some sets before it. Yeah, there's some dog that got like a bonus if you had artifacts in play. And there's just a lot of cards that cared about artifacts. And you, you could usually get them if you were in the archetype for it. Yeah. Like seeing these at one mana too, with with all the different payoffs that you like the powerful payoffs at historic seems really cool to me. Like you could potentially abuse these, you know, if you're drawing cards, play one mana, cycle this. And, and get an artifact on the board that could be useful later. I think I think there's some potential here. This is kind of interesting. Yeah, I, like I said, I'll be interested to see how this plays out. And like I'm seeing historic triggers in black and white so far, just kind of a cursory glance here. So like a, there's some argument that any color could use just random artifacts to make sure that they hit that. Mm -hmm. And it looks like historic is like kind of across the board. You mentioned the different rarities. It looks like it's going to be supported at what they call an as fan. So an as fan is when you open up a pack of cards, how many cards do you see that are dragons, for example, right? And right now we've seen a mythic, a rare, a common, you know... An uncommon. An uncommon, like all over the place that support these things. So I'm expecting that when you open a, a booster pack, there's going to be a fair number of Historic Matters cards. Which is kind yeah. of sweet. And we know we're getting at least one legend in each pack, so there'll be, like, those are Historic too. That's right. That's right. I'm thinking about historic, like cares about historic cards, but you have to remember that legendaries are also there too. So that's, that's pretty sweet. Yeah. I, I, I fully expect that one of us will have a deck that with Jorah that just like storms off with cheap artifacts. <laughs> like, I certainly almost, intend to. 
almost like Cheerios, except they're they're not quite free. Yeah. All right. Finally, our last, and I think this is the most interesting out of the artifacts that we have looked at so far. Um, spoiler card, our fourth one. Skittering Surveyor. Three colorless for a 1-2 artifact creature construct at common. When Skittering Surveyors enters, Surveyor, it's only one Surveyor, enters the battlefield, you may search your library for a basic land card, reveal it, put it into your hand, and then shuffle your library. Boom! We got good fixing at common. There you go. Um, playable in all colors, obviously. It's your Crocent. It's the Crocent Tusker of the set. <laughs> I don't know that I'm necessarily going that far, but it, it reminds me of Pilgrim's Eye, obviously. I mm-hmm. think a 1-1 flyer was better in most scenarios than a 1-2 on the ground, but most of what I was playing the Pilgrim's Eye for was to go get that land. Yeah, absolutely. And the fact that, uh, I mean, two toughness could be relevant, um, but it, it definitely just plays the same role. We've seen this in other cards too. Green get it, gets it at uh, Borderland Ranger, I remember, I think it was, which was a, a two and a green for a two-two search for a forest and put it in your hand. No, that was Wood Elves onto the battlefield. Borderland Wood Elves Ranger was a 1-1. One, one. Borderland was anything and put it in your hand. Anything and put it in your hand, right? So um, so we've seen this a few times. I I do like the Pilgrim's Eye more, um, but this is this could be supported better in this format than Pilgrim's Eye was. Yeah, potentially. Like, I think Pilgrim's Eye would have been an easy include, too, but I I dig that they've got this here. It means that if I do pick up a late gold card, which, again, it it looks like is going to be a theme here. There's some very powerful legendary gold creatures that, like, it it, kind of sucks to open up that third pack and, you know, you're in green-red and you open a a bomb white-green card. You're like, man, you can't splash in this format. This sucks. I'm going to have to pass it. Now you don't have to. You've got this guy at common. Just make sure you pick up a couple, throw a basic in there, and you can play whatever you want. So, like, this is a sign of a good format to me. It's very early. We haven't even seen all the cards yet. But anytime there's good fixing at common, regardless of how I what hoops I have to jump through to get it, I'm usually pretty excited because it it it, it's you know we talked a lot about skill expression when we were talking about rivals and Ixalan that I felt like it was very on rails like. Okay, I, I picked a couple good vampires. Vampires looks open. We'll do that. And the last two packs are just not interesting. I'm just taking the the vampire cards. Like, can you imagine starting a draft with one of these and then another one and then just see where it goes? There could be a four or five color deck here. I mean, yeah. Like, if you pick up three skittering surveyors, let's say, you can just take the last two packs and take the best color, like the best card in either color. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, out of out of your next two packs and have a really playable deck, you know, very similar to what we saw in like cons. Obviously, the fixing isn't quite there. Like you need a lot of these, and I imagine they'll go quite early in pack one. But who knows? Like we haven't seen what other fixing we have. Um, this is this is really cool. And I mean, in a pinch, you could get the navigator's compass as well. There might be other fixing you can see. There, there's potential for four five color shenanigans here. This, if this isn't a home for Traveler's Amulet, I don't know what is. It would blow my mind if that's not in this set. And then we could see Evolving Wilds or maybe even Terramorphic Expanse or something like that and really get nutty. Um, but that, that said, if this is the only piece of fixing that we've got, it's it's still likely that you can pick one up and splash one card and be pretty happy with it. I would be surprised if we saw Traveler's Amulet plus Skittering Surveyor plus Navigator's Compass. I think that's probably too many. Just take um, the for, compass for out, set. man. It's it's not doing uh, what this does. No, it's not doing what this does, but it's here for a reason, and it's here because 
we're probably not getting Traveler's Amulet, is my bet. Okay. I can that, sort that, of see that. That's my bet, right? Like, it, it could have been Traveler's Amulet instead, right? But I think having three of those probably eats up a lot of your spots at common, and there's a, you probably need other one-mana artifacts that do other things to fill that role of being a historic enabler, for example. Yeah, possibly. I mean, this does all of that, plus finds you a land. And shocks your opponent, or one of their <laughs> and, creatures. And shocks your opponent, because you always have an Orcish Vandal in play. We will always have Orcish Vandals in play. But no, like obviously like a really good play here, and we saw it a lot with the Pilgrim's Eye too, is you just play it and just block something big, right? Like, draw land and gain four life, or something like that. Um, th- this could be... This will probably be very much the same, and if you have the upside of tossing it and drawing a card or tossing it and, and dealing two damage or something like that. That's just pure upside. The last time we saw Pilgrim's Eye, you could emerge off of it, which was mm-hmm. kind of a big deal. And that made that's, it even a little better than it was before. That's true. I forgot that was Battle for Zendikar. Yeah. So like Pilgrim's Eye was especially good there because it was a three cost thing that got you to four and then you could emerge a seven drop the next turn. I did that plenty of times. That was really good, really good lines. So like I think the reason that this is packaged for us to preview along with the Orcish Vandal is to let us know that this being here and being an artifact is going to matter to some decks on its own in addition to being the fixing we're looking for past that. Right. But like this is a built in two for one. You get a creature, it's not a great one, and you get a land, you draw a card, it's always going to be a land, but you draw a card when you play this. Are you playing this in your two-color decks? Probably not. Um, unless my mana requirements are really, really tough, and honestly, some of the cards in this set look like they may lead you towards that. I've seen some triple, triple colors in, in some of these cards as we're looking through them. So like yep. if I'm legitimately trying to play, you know, black, black, black and white, white, white in the same deck, maybe we are interested in something like this, but generally speaking, no, I'm not going to put this in a two color deck. That's a good point. Um, playing it in those, in with those triple colors is huge and it could still potentially let you play strict mana requirements on your other colors as well. Like you could pair a Sarah angel three white, white with the triple green. Uh, I forget what it is and what the creature does, but like, that's difficult, very difficult to do in a format with just Evolving Wilds. All of a sudden, these Skittering Surveyors, you better have a bunch of them, like three. But but that takes that risk of your mana base and, and kind of smooths it out a little bit into more of like a like having double casting cost in each color instead of a double and a triple. It kind of also lets you easy like play like a like a like an eleven six mana base. Like if you were heavy green with a light touch of white, but you wanted to make sure you hit your land drops uh, in white because you needed, I don't know, let's say maybe you needed double white for a Sarah Angel or maybe you just had good white cards and you wanted to make sure you always had them. I can see that being a reason to play Skittering Surveyor in your two-color deck as well. Um, And then maybe going a little lighter on one of your colors instead of having to do like an even split or something like that. Possibly. I I still think you're doing it wrong if you're doing it there. Like People will see this and remember playing Pilgrim's Eye and BFZ and say, okay, that was good there. It'll be good here. But they're they're forgetting that emerge mechanic. So I I need to see, and like Orcish Vandal, it's cool, but that's not enough. I need to have like a compelling reason to be putting artifacts in my deck before I'm putting this in a two-color deck, right? So for for me, I don't think we're putting this in a two color deck, except under extreme circumstances where either the 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 artifact type matters, or I just desperately need to get to four, five, six mana. Like the the deck wants to hit all of its land drops. Mm-hmm. 
So that's, you... that's kind of where I'm at on it, but I'm, I'm, I'm excited for a format that has this in it. Yeah. And I think there'll be people that will play it in other, um, like maybe where you have half of those, you know, you like, you have some cards that care about historic and then you have that need to get to five mana, but not necessarily you're all, you're not necessarily all in on one or the other. So it could, it could, you know, straddle a couple of strategies as well, I think. But I think this is going to be a high pickup for a lot of people, especially people that like to dirtle around and, and try to break the format with all the busted kind of gold cards that you see. Yeah, I'm hoping this is a dirtle format. I'm ready for one. All right. So those are pretty sweet. What do you take as, as the package here as a whole then? Again, looking at it, I, I think it's a clue that like they know that we're predominantly limited players. And I, I think they're kind of passing us hey, Blue-Red Artifacts is going to be back in town. And we haven't quite seen all of the cards that are going to care about that just yet. Although, again, the the Blue-Red Mythic, as you pointed out a couple times, Giora cares about casting historic cards. Yeah, but artifacts are historic. So I, I think it's just cluing us in that, hey, this is going to be an archetype. You may be able to do some fun stuff here. And then if you've got them left laying around and you want to throw them at your opponent's head, go for it. Mm-hmm. And we haven't seen a ton of other artifacts that would kind of fit into this cheap artifact theme or artifacts that get value when they leave the battlefield. You know, we have things like Gilded Lotus. Well, you're not throwing that at somebody. Icy Manipulator, you're not throwing that at somebody. You know, Power Stone Shards, not really throwing that at somebody either. So I think it'd be interesting to see. There, there's probably a lot of uh, artifact space that we haven't seen yet that will be spoiled in the next couple of days. So it'd yeah. be interesting to come back and reevaluate when we get the full set to see what that archetype actually looks like. Or if it's like a like a sub theme um, in, in a color pair that does other things as well. I kind of think it's going to be a major one, man. Like looking through here, it's mostly, you know, rares, mythics, and a few uncommons that have been spoiled. Like there's a lot of room for more commons that care about artifacts or are interested in them. Yeah. I'd be really excited. Like you said, if there's a token maker, you know, like, like a, uh, what was the Thopter maker from Kaladesh? Whirler maker? Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good example. Something like that, that I can just now turn these tokens, like if they become irrelevant, throw them at my opponent's face or their creatures. Like, and and it could even cost less and make zero ones and I'd still be in on it. Like, Mm -hmm. obviously the the main thing that you want to combo the Orcish Vandal with is the new Karn. Karn doesn't count. He's not an artifact planeswalker. Well, he, he creates artifacts, right? That was a joke. See, he's not an, he's not an artifact you can throw. Okay. But you he can makes make artifacts. artifacts that you can throw. Yeah, exactly. So you just throw Actually, them at people. Karn's a really good point here too, right? Like I know it's a mythic, but you know the Karn minus two is create a zero zero colorless artifact creature token that gets plus one plus one for each artifact you control. That that on its own kind of says to me not that you're supposed to be playing all of these medium or, or or poor one mana artifacts to flood the board so your Karn is better. What that says to me is that there's potentially a way to make ch- like artifacts, you know, multiple artifacts, either in a repeatable effect or off of a single card. You know, like a uh what was it was there a, a was there a white spell that made servos in Kaladesh block? Like, yeah, servo expeditions. There you go, right? Something like that, where you're getting these other artifacts that you can get more value off of if you happen to have a Karn. Now I know Karn is is mythic, but we we see build around mythics in limited. That is a thing that we see. They're not all just constructed or EDH plants, right? So there's potential here that if Karn is going to be useful in limited, you know, outside of just drawing a card every turn, um, that we're going to need to see some cheap artifacts that come in multiples on a card and probably tokens. 
Yeah. 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 So I'm looking forward to the next couple of days. Like the day we release this, which is the, the Tuesday, the 10th, um, is supposed to be a limited dump of knowledge across a bunch of people that are doing spoilers. So I look forward to seeing all of the cards that get spilled out and all of the different archetypes and what fits into these cards that we've talked about today. Yeah, and that's my guess is that all the different limited people will kind of be showcasing a different archetype. So I, I think this is a cool one for us to get. And I, I guess the first time we draft, I'm going to have to try and draft it. Got to try to force it, right? All in? All in. All in or nothing. All right. How about we spend the next... I mean, we're so far into Dominaria here now. Like, we might as well just talk about a few more cards here, hey? Yeah, yeah, let's go for it. All right, so where do you want to start? Do you want to start with uh, with your boy Teferi? Yeah, I, Teferi's one of my favorite people in, like, magic lore. Um, it, it, actually, I think if it wasn't for Teferi, I don't think I would be playing magic. And I've told this story before, but I'm going to tell it again. So a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, I was young. It's It's been a while. But I played D&D. I played Spellfire, which was a, a D&D-based card game. Um, I read the D&D novels. Uh, I read Lord of the Rings. I was into all this fantasy stuff. And all of it kind of looked the same, right? It was always white guys riding dragons with big swords. And it was kind of all this just kind of generic-looking stuff. And one of the things that actually interested me in magic when I saw it was that they they had people of other ethnicities besides generic white people on it. I'm like, this is different. What is this? My best friend uh, happens to be of Syrian descent. And I remember looking at the magic packs and he saw the Arabian Nights packs like behind the glass. And he was like, ooh, what's that? They've got like Arab themed cards. I want to I want to see what that is. And like Teferi for me represents all of that. And like he was all over all of the cards that I first opened, right? Like you'd have cards with you know, him referencing the flavor text or named after him. And he just kind of seemed like this kind of jokester, cool old dad, personality wise. Just like all of that wrapped together just makes me a big fan of Teferi. I'm happy to see him again. I said on this podcast, we would have a Teferi Planeswalker. And people doubted me because in the lore, he lost his spark. But who cares about the lore? Everybody wants a Teferi Planeswalker. We'll find a way to get him his spark back. So I, I expect one of the stories to be how Teferi got his groove back. But anyway, I'll read the card now. Three blue, white, four loyalty planeswalker, plus one draw a card at the beginning of the next end step, untap two lands. Neg three, put target non-land permanent into its owner's library third from the top. Neg eight, you get an emblem with whenever you draw a card, exile target permanent and opponent controls it's a bit of a must answer planeswalker because of that ultimate and the fact that it's drawing you cards and if you're playing a control deck which i know is rare and limited um but that plus one is very spicy obviously it's more constructed focused but man this this is um thinking back to all the different planeswalkers we've seen in the last couple of sets this one has me excited to draft it in limited as opposed to just feeling like i have to take it because it's a planeswalker yeah you know what i mean I mean, this has me a little terrified for constructed because we've got like the the the, the ideal curve here is you play a wizard, you play Teferi, draw a card, untap two islands, and then when they try to interact with what you're doing, you counterspell it. Oh, blue blue target or counter target spell. Yep, we're so, old school magic now. Uh huh. Because you you can do that as long as you've got a wizard in play, right? 
or you could just play them on six, untap two, and then you know have a cancel or whatever else it is we're using for counter spells these days. But like I, I think that's the idea here. And if you need to just play him and use him as an expensive bounce spell, and then the next turn start defending him, you're still able to do that. So it, it reminds me, dare I say it, of Jace the Mind Sculptor Jace. a little bit. A little bit. Yeah, so he's he's one more expensive. He's not drawing you the best of three. You can't abuse fetch lands or evolving wilds or shuffle effects. It's double color. I, I get it. There's a lot of things here that make this not the next Jace, but it is reminiscent thereof. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, it's um that minus three putting third from the top, like get out of my game. Yeah, you don't have to deal with it for a while. That's kind of sweet, um, especially from a limited perspective. Like we've seen effects that just goes to the top, right? Like Jace is, Jace bounces to your hand, right? Yes. So library third from the top, you know, it's, it's bordering on a card. It feels like, right? I mean, I mean, oh, it is a hundred percent a card. Yeah. It's going back into the library. It's is it like one and a half cards? Like it's it's not quite two cards, but like depending on the cards, it's, it's one and a third, right? It, or, or maybe point seven five, because like if you if you end up doing this with something that has a comes into play ability and you can't get out from under it in time, that kind of sucks. But if you do it on something that uh, has an aura attached to it or something like that, well, you you, you kind of got huge advantage. So that's that's going to be dependent. But you're never da- down a card when you play Teferi and use it to do this. Like, you've still got the Teferi in play with one loyalty. Yeah, it's a pretty good top deck late. I mean, Planeswalkers usually are, but, like, you know, if if you're on a... If you just need something to get you over the top or you need something to get you stable, this can do that for you. Great in a board stall. Great on an empty board. Yeah, I'm I'm excited. And, man, I hope somebody gets to emblem this on stream because drawing cards and exiling your opponent's board is going to be so sweet. This it sounds like over. a lot of fun. Yeah, it sounds and- like a lot of fun. And just flavor-wise, like, Teferi's the guy I was most excited to see again. So, like, I, I love that kind of no matter what you were into in Old Magic, they're bringing it back for you. So th- this was it for me. And then somebody else is going to be like, oh, my God, I can't believe they brought back, you know, insert card name here. And I just like that we're all kind of getting what we want in Dominaria. That's interesting. It looks like there's something for everybody here. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, I'm sure there's cards that modern players care about. EDH players are over the moon excited for some of the things in this set already limited players there's a lot of really cool limited cards we've seen so far standard players kicker kicker that's all i've ever wanted out of limited just put kicker in every set there's some there's some interesting gold cards for limited there's like lords there's like multiple lords in this set Mm -hmm. i'm yeah I'm, i'm excited there's something for everybody here i i can't not wait we're like what two weeks out yeah I think we're a week from the full spoiler. Yeah. Right? I think the limited, or the, sorry, the loading ready run pre-pre-release is, what, next week? No, this weekend. This Friday. Yeah. How is it, how is it Dominaria season already? I love this. All right. Got me all hot and bothered with that now. Um, (laughs) While we're in the multicolored section, there's a couple of cards I want to maybe touch on here that seem like really cool for limited. Uh, Arvad the Cursed, three black, white, for a legendary vampire knight at 3-3. Kind of underrated there, but it's got Death Touch, Lifelink, and other legendary creatures you control get plus two, plus two. Now, why is that important? It's like every other creature in this set is legendary. Yeah, I think that's pretty cool. And, like, it's it's a callback to Krovax. I haven't read enough of the story to know exactly what his deal is and what's going on here. 
Um, but yeah, I could certainly see this doing something. And it's uncommon. Which, I mean, you, if you end up with two of them, I mean, I know they're legendary, it doesn't matter, but like, it's realistic that you that this could pump half of your team, if not more. Um, and plus two, plus two is kind of a big deal. Yeah, there's uncommon things here. It's going to trigger heroic. I could, I could see this doing enough stuff. And it, yeah. it also doesn't look like the creatures are super huge here. Like, I've seen a few of them, but we're still kind of like in, hey, 4-4s are pretty big territory, right? So, like, mm-hmm. this guy will be able to tangle with a lot of stuff, too. Puts it over the top. And the fact that it just trades for anything, gains you a few life, like, you could do a lot worse for 5 mana. I'm, I'm excited. But if this is the bar for, like, uncommon gold cards, like, that's pretty good, I think, as far as uncommon gold cards go. We've yeah. seen some duds in the past, and, like, looking through here, they all look pretty cool. Yeah, agree. Um, one of my favorite ones, though, Slimefoot the Stowaway. <laughs> looks disgusting. The art is amazing. One green-black for a legendary creature, Fungus. Looks like a fun guy. Whenever a sapperling you control dies, Slimefoot the Stowaway deals one damage to each opponent, and you gain one life. It's a 2-3, and it has four mana. Here's your mana sink. Create a one-one green sapperling token. Sold. Sold. And I'm and there are other things that do sapperlings as well. Uh, Verdant Force, I believe, is in the set, even though it hasn't been officially spoiled yet. So there are other ways that you can get incidental sapperlings. It seems. And fungus is a callback to Dominaria of the past. We had fungus lords and fungus creatures in in old sets. And like any time I see a mana sink, I just get excited to play limited. Here's an uncommon mana sink for a color pair. Like, that's just great news. There's a, another um, Mana Sync um, in blue-black that we see here in Rona, Disciple of Gix. It's like a really complicated way to draw cards, but it, it's another Mana Sync. So, like, I'm I'm kind of excited that we see these sorts of things happening already. Like, if I can get a Mana Sync in, you know, every deck that I play, I'm stupid thrilled. Mm-hmm. So, we've seen Mana Sinks. You've seen Kicker. You've seen fixing. It's kind of checking all of the boxes so far. Yeah, you could call me interested. You could call yeah. me interested. What else is interesting, too, is that we've got spell lands. Yeah, those are pretty neat. Let's. You want to talk about that cycle real quick? Yeah, and, and I want to talk about them because it's a, it's, they're not really mana sinks, but it's a way to use your lands when the mana is useless late in the game, right? So we've, we saw this in the... Uh, battle for Zendikar block with the blighted whatevers, right? There Cataract, was the blighted woodlands and the blighted cataracts. So we've got uh, one in every color here. They all enter the battlefield tapped and they all add one color to your mana pool. So black or blue or whatever. And they all have an activated ability. So they're like spell lands. So the black one, for example, Memorial to Folly uh, has two in black, tap, sacrifice, return target creature card from your graveyard to your hand. So at the cost of playing a tap land... Now you have a recover, or well, not quite a recover, um, not Raised quite dead. a wander in death. Raise dead, I guess. Some, somewhere in there that that takes up a land spot instead of a spell slot, which is great. Now, they're uncommon, so you're not going to see them all that often. Um, they'd be way too powerful at common, I think. But having one of these in your two-color deck is a very low cost, and if you can get one that has a good effect... All of a sudden, it turns, you know, if you're flooding out, it kind of doesn't matter because you'll get an effect off of it at some point later in the game. Yeah, I I think all of them are good with the exception of the red one. Like, I 
I get that it's a callback to Magic of Old, but destroying a land's not a big deal. But like I, I talked some when we were doing the the cube prep last week about how taking non-basic lands over you know mediocre cards or whatever means that I'm going to be playing more of my draft picks, and that's what something like this allows you to do as well. So like if I see a a C level card, you know one that's just like fine but mostly filler and this in the same pack, I'm taking one of these. With the exception of the red one, I don't think I'm particularly interested in that. But all of the others have effects that are good enough that's like, hey, early in the game, yeah, I've got a little cost, it's a tap land. I can kind of deal with that. I can still use this as a land. And then late in the game, they're way better top decks, and they can just sit there and accrue value. All of them are instant speed. Like, none of them are like, do this only on your turn or anything like that. So, like, if you've got the Memorial to Glory in play, which sacks to let you create two 1-1 white soldier creature tokens, like, say you're playing a blue-white deck with some instants, your opponent's Grizzly Bears kind of can't attack you because you could just do that. And then if they don't, you could cast Inspiration. I don't know if Inspiration's in the set, but it, it could be. So there's, like, all sorts of neat little things you can do with these, and I think it's just very high value to have spell lands. That has me, again, particularly excited about the set because, like, when should you take these? Right? There's decisions to be made. How many do you want to play? As many as you can get? Well, like, maybe. I don't think I could get too many. Mm-hmm. Which do you think you're you're most excited to play out of the four non-red ones? So the black one is uh, Tuna Black, return target creature card to your hand. Uh, Memorial to Genius is the blue one. Four and a blue to draw two cards. Memorial to Glory is three and a white for two soldier tokens. Memorial to Unity is Tuna Green... Uh, look at the top five cards of your library. You may reveal a creature card and put it into your hand and the rest on the bottom in a random order. I think the black one actually has me the most excited. And here's why. By the time the land has truly outlived its usefulness, something has probably died that I can get back. Right? So with the blue one, I'm getting two random cards. With the black one, I'm getting something specific. The green one just seems like a worse version of that. I'm gambling that my top five are better than something that's already died. And then the white one, yeah, that's pretty good to get out of a land, right? But I'm I'm essentially spending five mana to make two one ones. That's not a super huge value that late in the game. Whereas I feel like by the time the land has outlived its purpose, getting back, uh, you know, the best thing I have in my graveyard is is going to be the most interesting one there. So the memorial to folly is the one I'm most interested in. Yeah, I think the Memorial to Glory, if there is a go-wide style deck, like we've seen some lords that pump all of your creatures, not just legendary ones as well, um, maybe this one goes up in value there. I think it's a toss-up for me between the green, or for between the, the black and the blue one, I think. Black, you know what you're getting, but that thing that you're getting might not be that great. Uh, the blue, obviously, is two random cards, and it's five mana, which is a lot. Um, but, you know, if you're playing a, a control-style deck... Um, you know, being able to, you know, instant speed divination for a couple of extra mana uh, late in the game is, is pretty good, I think. So it's double the mana cost, right? Like it's five oh, plus tap plus it. the one that you're tapping. Yeah. yeah I mean, if, if you're playing a controlling style game and you're having that mana up anyway, it's it's a good way to, um, to to ask your opponent the question. Do you think I'm just doing this to draw cards or do you think I'm doing this because I have a counter spell or removal spell or something like that? So I think it depends. The fact that these are all instant speed is really cool, right? Because you can, you can hold it up and end of turn any one of these. I appreciate that too, especially after seeing the desert cycle because some of them were instant speed and some of them weren't. And I couldn't understand why 
and when and how, and it just took me a while to get used to them. And it's nice that this cycle is just sort of self-contained. They all do something that's associated with that color pair, and you can do it in instant speed. I, I dig that. Yeah, it's now, pretty the, cool. The red one may go up in value to me if there's anything that enchants lands or any lands that we particularly need to kill. Like I might want that in my sideboard if there's some particularly powerful utility land. I'm thinking on the level of like Westvale Abbey. We're like, you didn't see it that often, but God, when your opponent had one, you were just hating life. Like you had to deal with that and there were very few ways to do it. Yeah, it's tough for them to make this card feel good because if you make it cheaper, like let's say if it was four mana you know plus the one you plus sacrificing itself so five mana effect to destroy a land at no cost of a spell in your deck um you know maybe you can use it reliably to get an opponent's third color that they're splashing something off of but then that feels real bad like you can't really go cheaper than what they've done here but at this rate by the time you've blown up their splash land they've probably already used it and don't need it anymore so it's kind of there's no real line that they can walk here to make this you know good uh, but not too good, if that makes sense. So yeah, it, and they, it's unfortunate. They could have put destroy art target artifact on this in a lot of sets, and it would have been fine. But mm-hmm. it looks like artifacts are going to matter a lot more here, so they probably couldn't do that, right? So like this is a tough one. Maybe it could have said two damage to target opponent. But then we start getting like, into Remnant Ruins territory, and we start to get worried about that a little bit. So mm-hmm. like I, I can see where they had a, a kind of a tough spot to design this card. But I, I think that one's the one I'm least interested in. Yeah, this one probably goes in a constructed deck, you know, to to play against uh, opponents that are playing Search for Ezcanta or something like that. Like, it's probably yeah. not for limited at all here. That's a fair point. That's a fair point. Um, Anything else you want to touch on, or should we save the rest for uh, for our full spoiler show next week? Yeah, we should probably save them. Like, as I'm looking through here, I want to talk about almost all of these cards, frankly. Like, there's a lot of really good stuff here. We can at least nod to the the enemy-colored buddy lands are coming back. Mm-hmm. But they're rare, so we don't have to worry about them as much for limited, but that's great for constructed. It is, and, like, when, when you're playing limited, uh, particularly, like, I, I, don't, I don't know for sure that this is something we're doing, but we may be drafting these in a, in a case where... We could draft this on Arena one day, man. Like, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm excited for that. We could also see places where, like, the picking the value of the card doesn't matter as much. You could get past these. They enable a splash. I've always liked playing in formats that had the buddy lands. That's true. I mean, if you pick one up and you happen to be those colors, it's great, right? And if not, then kind of whatever. But it's really good for Constructed. I think people in Standard will be really excited to have all 10 of them. Um, plus, they still have a cycle of the cycling lands as well. Um, be an interesting constructed format for uh, for mana fixing, that's for sure. And it's a constructed format we're going to be playing because we're playing Arena. I do have to get excited for that, don't I? Yeah. So, like, normally I'd be like, oh, yeah, these are here for constructed. But now I'm like, oh, yeah, these are here for Arena. Like, all of a oh. sudden I'm interested. Can you imagine Teferi in any blue-white tokens deck? <laughs> nah, I played your blue-white goes- tokens deck. It's pretty good. It's not bad. I went on a really good winning streak and then a really bad losing streak. So, but it's been fun so far. But yeah, there's there's uh, not a lot of cards in here for it specifically, but uh, there are a lot of cool cards in here for constructed. So yeah, and there's plenty of time left, man. Like when this goes up tomorrow, everybody's posting their spoilers. We'll know a lot more by this time tomorrow. Absolutely. All right. Um, speaking of of spoilers and previews, though, 
Uh, you've got a big thing coming up this Friday, right? Yes, uh, Lord Tupperware, aka Ethan, and I will be doing a full set review on Friday at 9 a.m. Eastern. Uh, provided that the the full review, the full spoiler is up, right? We'll need that. Uh, but we're going to go through every card, talk about them, rate them, get you ready for uh, playing Dominaria for your pre-releases. And then next week we'll do a podcast as well and kind of hit the highlights from there to give you like an hour-long version. Be aware if you tune into this, these things usually last between six and eight hours. Like we're having in-depth discussion about every card in the set and interacting with chat, right? So if somebody asks a question or sees something that we didn't, we're going to take time to address that. So it's going to be a long show, uh, but I also think it's going to be a pretty good one. Mm-hmm. You're cra- you're cracking up all over it already. You're shedding a few tears. Uh, I was looking at Teferi again, man. <laughs> uh, and yeah. this will be on my Twitch channel this time. Um, Ethan and I are going to like go ahead and partner to do the next two together. So we'll do one this one on my channel, and we'll do the next one on his. Yeah, that'll be pretty good. He's got a he's got a very good limited mind, him and Ben. So I'm sure he'll have interesting thoughts, and I'm sure. Actually, it'll be interesting to see the discussion between the two of you because I think sometimes you have different approaches to limited formats. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I know you haven't played Sealed in a while, but I imagine that you'll be back into Sealed fairly quickly now. Uh, oh, heck yeah. This, I'm ready to go. This has all the fixing you care about, right? So um, it'll be interesting to see your styles. Not clash is the wrong word, but uh, it'll be interesting to see the discussions that come from your two different styles. So I'm looking forward to watching that. It's always good when you're doing a set review to have somebody that doesn't see eye to eye with you everywhere. Otherwise, mm-hmm. it's just, yo, this card is good. Mom, this card is bad. And like, that's, that's just not interesting discussion. So I, I think he tends to go more in for build arounds and kind of zany strategies where I tend to evaluate every card as it is on its own. And that contrast, I think, should make for a nice review. I agree. I look forward to seeing it. So where can they catch you doing that on Friday? Uh, you can find me on Friday and any day at twitch.tv slash simulan. And I am on twitch.tv slash dcivilian. You can also catch us on Men From Moto, not Twitch, but Twitter. That's twitter.com slash menfrommoto. Give us a follow, say hi, let us know what you think of our preview cards. Yeah, and I want to take a minute and just say thank you to Wizards for giving us the opportunity to preview these cards. Like, that's absolutely huge for me, man. Um, it It... It means the world to me. Yeah, it was when when we started this, I remember talking about our goals, you and I, and one of them was like, you know how cool it would be to get a, a preview card and kind of feel like we had made it in the community, meaning that we had listeners, right? And we had people that enjoyed the content we produced. And I remember back when we were first listed on the Daily MTG on the mothership, and like we were super excited for that. And that was a that was kind of a big deal for us because it meant that People were consuming our content and people enjoyed it. And now, you know, with, with preview cards, it's it's not rewarded, but it feels like recognition in a way. And, yeah. and I think that even though I'm not necessarily here for the recognition, I, I do like being recognized as a podcast and as, as a part of the community that we can bring value to people and that people enjoy it. So thank you to the listeners, because without you um obviously we wouldn't be here doing this and we would not have the opportunity to to share these spoilers with you so it's really a team effort here you me wizards our listeners everybody yeah thanks thanks to all of you 
Thanks to all of you. And especially thanks to Mana Deprived and Face-to-Face for hosting us because it's great there. We get lots of traffic and they've got a nice little podcast network going like First Strike, Top 8. Like there's all sorts of good stuff there. And and we're just one of many, many quality uh, content items, I guess, there for lack of a better term. Yeah. So once again, everyone, and thanks for listening. Thanks to Wizards. Thanks to everybody. We'll catch you next time. Adios.